The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. The Chicago Bears beat the Minnesota Vikings in a late thrilling 21-19 victory to brings their season total up to 8-8. Eight and eight. I bring on one of my favorite draft guys, Jacob Infante, to help me both break down this Bears win and preview off-season content on this episode of Bear With Me. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Me, the Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, on this, the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network. And today, I'm excited to come at you talking positively about uh, the thrilling Chicago Bears victory here at the end of the game against the uh, the Minnesota Vikings team that is, well, look, I'll pause at the pleasantries. We all know that the Bears just beat a bunch of backups, but hey, it's a nice positive way, I guess, to end a season that could have been a really disappointing 7-9 and nine season. Instead, we have a nice little Christmas present of 8-8, eight and eight. and I'm on here today with somebody I'm really excited to come at you with, Jacob Infante of Windy City Gridiron, who is going to be able to offer us not only some thoughts on this Bears game, but also maybe even preview a little bit of that draft goodness that we are all excited to get into. Jacob, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm feeling good after a Bears win, as mediocre as it may be, and I'm ready to break down the win. Absolutely. Heck, uh, let me start you off with a really quick and easy question. At the end of the day, are you happier, especially as a draft guy? I can't wait to hear what you think. Happier that the Bears did win or maybe a little bit disappointed that they cost themselves what, four or five slots in the draft? Honestly, I feel like with where the Bears are projected to pick, like they don't have a first round pick. So we're looking at their second round selections here. This win probably will cost them a couple of slots, but ultimately I'd take the win over that very slight draft positioning because nobody wants to finish with a losing season and eight and eight is the definition of mediocrity, but it's not seven and nine. You don't go into the off season thinking we're a losing team. And I feel like they found something, a little bit of something to build upon heading into the off season, a tiny bit of momentum. Sure. It's a win against a bunch of backups and it's a glorified preseason game, but it's a win nonetheless, and I feel that it's not only a victory in the win-loss column, but also a moral victory. So I take the win in that situation because, you know, like I said, nobody wants to head into an offseason realizing, hey, we just came off of a losing season. We are a less than average team. I couldn't agree more, to be completely honest. I know that there are a lot of people who are going to say, that was dumb, it cost the Bears. Well, if we were falling from, say, 13th to 18th, I would agree with you. But without a first-round pick, I think that at this point, the Bears needed any positivity that they can muster up coming into 2020 because this is a season that, and I'm sure this is no surprise to you, and you'll probably agree, this is going to be a real trial for Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. And if he's playing, which... I think is legitimately worth questioning Mitchell Trubisky as well. I mean, this is the third year in the Matt Nagy era. Uh, It's funny because if you look back, Jacob, and you gave us this year, last year, and last year, this year, we're probably content with the direction of the franchise. I mean, an eight and eight season coming off of a five and 11 John Fox finish, I believe, uh, following up with a 12 and four season. Most people would look and say, that sounds about right. But that's that's not what we got. And there are a lot of reasons for it. 
Um, but overall, at the end of the day, I'm with you. I think seven and nine is a major alarm bell. And not that eight and eight isn't. We had a lot of things go really, really wrong this season. I mean, health, player regression. Certainly, we could talk about plenty of specific positions, but I don't want to get too quick into it. At the end of the day, I take the win, too. We're fans first. You get the idea. Uh, when it came to the actual football game that happened today, what stuck out to you? Any uh, overarching things that you want to point out first off? The one big thing that I'd like to mention is David Montgomery. He finished with over 100 rushing yards, and he had a touchdown. Uh, he put together a very good game. And granted, there's an asterisk next to everyone's performance because it's against mostly backups. <laughs> but... I mean, Montgomery still had a very good game, and that's the type of game you like to finish the season on. It's an exclamation point at this point in the year, and that's something encouraging to see this late in the year to see you know, someone like Montgomery who will likely end up being on this roster for at least a handful of years. Uh, I think that's definitely encouraging to see him finish off the season with such a big year, uh, with such a big game rather, my bad. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, to be completely honest. It's funny because if I've seen anything this season, curious to hear what you think. Certainly, I know you had uh, plenty of draft work on David Montgomery. Uh, he seemed to me like a guy who he runs like he's Saquon Barkley, but without that top end speed that makes Barkley light or Barkley and others like him so elite and dangerous. It seems as if David Montgomery is a very, very good runner if you can pave him a little bit of runway just to, if you will, take off to continue with that plane related analogy. Uh, and the Bears today were able to do that. And I think a lot of that had to do with Ted Larson. Uh, subbing in for Rashad Coward. Subbing in may not be fair. Kind of looked more like a replacement, if I could be honest. But uh, again, we, like you said, big asterisk, this was against the Vikings backups. But outside of a strange play at the end of the game where the Vikings very literally didn't want to tackle uh, David Montgomery, it seemed as if he had a game today where he was able to get to the one or like a one yard gain without being touched. And that was enough. That was enough for him to make contact at the two-yard line, if you will, and roll forward for seven. That was enough to cut out to his right or left, pick up some more yards. He made more big plays with his creativity than I thought he lost yards. And look, that, and I'm sure you could chime in on this. Please explain. I know you've seen plenty of runners like this. There are plenty of runners that will, quote-unquote, get in trouble with their fans because their creativity will cost them yards on occasion. But it has always seemed to me that the best runners in the game get caught like that occasionally. It's always about putting more positive plays on the field than you than you take away with, that, with your creativity. It seemed like Montgomery did that today day and certainly something that he could build on going into next season is that what you saw yeah definitely and going back to that uh saquon barkley analogy i really like that uh because saquon occasionally can try to go for the big play instead of you know going for a reliable short game but more often than not he gets away with it because of simply how athletic he is yeah and david montgomery has that issue at times as well problem is he's not as athletic as Saquon is and it's a bit of an interesting case because I thought that Montgomery's vision was one of the biggest like positives in his game coming mm -hmm. out of Iowa State this year it's been a bit hit or miss he's had a handful of really encouraging plays I love the tenacity with which he runs the football I love his contact balance he offers value as a receiver even though the Bears didn't use him as much as they probably should have I feel like Montgomery overall is still a bit of a work in progress because mm -hmm. I feel that his vision, like I said, was hit or miss. There were some times where he was trying to make a big play happen when it simply wasn't in the cards for him. And I feel like some development will come over the offseason as well as upgrades in the offensive line because the Bears offensive line didn't do him a ton of favors. Mm -hmm. And I think that that might have hurt Montgomery at times. And I think it might have made it tougher for him to adjust to, you know, the quickness that of processing that the NFL game requires. So I feel that overall, I mean, Montgomery wasn't perfect this rookie year. He could have been better, but he was definitely encouraging. And I think I've seen enough out of him uh, this year to say that he could be, you know, a long term running back in this offense.
I agree with that. I mean, he passed what he needs, in my opinion, to improve his blocking. But at the risk of turning this entire podcast into a, uh, a you know, a feature piece on David Montgomery, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll point out that he ran the ball well. He caught the ball way better than I expected to this year and would love to see a little bit more than that. And while his pass blocking was a little bit lacking, that's a pretty common rookie thing. But you mentioned something that I want to stick to a little bit. I want to go back to Jacob. Uh, I know that I wasn't particularly impressed with the offensive line play this year. I do think, and some may think of this as a bit of a hot take, I do think that the quarterback uh, didn't help them out in pass blocking, which they were, in my opinion, undoubtedly better at than they were at run blocking. And I don't say that as a compliment to their pass blocking. It is much more me pointing out that their run blocking might have been some of the worst in the league. But you mentioned offensive line upgrades. How many positions do you think need upgrading, uh, specifically on the offensive line? You got five guys. You got Charles Leno, Bobby Massey, James Daniels, Cody Whitehair, and uh, and then a right guard. And honestly, I don't even know who to pick for that because I could pretend it's Kyle Long, but I don't think he's coming back. I could pretend it's Rashad Coward, but it kind of looked like he just got replaced. And I tend to doubt that they're going to roll into 2020 with Ted Larson as the starter. So at this point, knowing that right guard is probably needing replacement, do you think the Bears are either in position to or should replace any of the other positions? Well, I will say that I feel like it's a very talented offensive tackle class. And they do have Charles Leno, who's been, you know, didn't have as good of a year as he did last year, but still overall, you know, could be worse. Mm -hmm. And Bobby Massey, with his contract, he's likely going to be around next year. But what the Bears could do is they could look into drafting a long-term replacement in the second round. I know Mm. necessarily for their short-term plans, it might not be ideal because they wouldn't get one of those rookies who could step in right away and make an impact. But if they want to, you know, abandon short term and go for a long run, you know, extension of a title window, possibly whatever that might consist of, then there could definitely be a handful of tackles in the second round. The Bears could consider, Mm. I believe I have four first round grades on offensive tackles in this class, and I have a handful of guys I could see going early in the second round as well. It's a very talented class with a lot of guys with a lot of physical tools and high upside. So I feel that the Bears could be in the market for a tackle. They'll definitely be looking for a guard. I don't know exactly where they'll find that, but they have to find some sort of competition because, like you said, Kyle Long's probably not coming back. Rashad Coward didn't prove that he can be a long-term guy. Ted Larson's not a long-term option. He's a stopgap guy at best, and we don't know enough about Alex Barr's Uh, to consider him as a legitimate starting option. So I think guard, they'll look at a guard. Maybe the guard class isn't as deep as the tackle class is this year. But I think right guard and right tackle, the Bears are going to look at trying to make some sort of upgrade at those positions. You know, it's funny that you say it's a deep tackle class because all I've ever heard from Lester, uh, and he's honestly a big part of the reason that I know anything about the offensive line, is that guard, it's not that it's a different position from tackle, but it is, from everything I understand, easier to transition from tackle to guard than it is guard out to tackle. Tackle is the unquestionably harder position, as I've heard it. Uh So you make it sound, Jacob, like there could theoretically be a legitimate path to victory for the Bears where they draft a long-term solution at tackle and give that rookie and bars a shot at the starting right guard job. And then that tides us over till, let's say, 2021, where you make maybe maybe Leno bounces back. In fact, if I could be completely candid, Leno had a rough season this year, but I also think it's been blown out of proportion. Really easy for fans to hate on the left tackle, and I kind of think they did. Leno's never been a power blocker. He had a horrific showing in today's game. Let's not make any bones about that. Real nasty stuff. But overall in the season, I do think he's certainly worth keeping around. Not a cut candidate in my opinion, but if he shows another season like this one next year, now we're talking. And so, like you're saying, if in the second round the Bears see a offensive tackle talent they like, maybe that's who steps into the right guard spot. Who knows? It does sound like there's options, though. And hearing that uh, that the offensive tackle class is deep at a time when the Bears might very well need one, that's a positive sign. Honestly, I didn't think about that. I like that idea of drafting a tackle, trying to move him to guard, 
and then letting him compete for right tackle or even left tackle, depending on how Leno uh, plays next year. I think that would actually be a very good option because there aren't a lot of pure guards that I would consider in the second round, but there are a lot of tackles that could convert to guards hypothetically that I would like that early in the draft. I think that would actually be a really good option for the bears because they need as much offensive line talent as possible. Mm -hmm. And considering they don't have necessarily fantastic, uh, draft capital or cap space to maybe sign a free agent. I think that that would definitely be a really good move. I honestly didn't really think much about that, but that's a really good idea. <laughs> hey, I'm glad I could contribute in that case. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully the bears think about it because that'd be awfully neat. Uh, I know one guy that I wanted to ask you about, cause we could talk about a whole bunch of different positions, but at the end of the day, I guess we might as well take a quick position by position uh, look, we'll see what we can do when it comes to receiver. I know the bears made what I believe was, uh, let's call it a curious choice, uh, to, to stick to the plan, if you will, which is exactly who Matt Nagy is. He is a very stick to the plan kind of guy. And when Cordero Patterson left the game with a concussion, he put Anthony Miller in as kick returner, you know, your number two overall pick from just, you know, what a, a two years, one year ago, depending on how you count it now here at the end of the season. And he immediately re-injures that right shoulder, which is uh, not, not good. Um, what that means is, and I'd, I'd love your thoughts on the uh, the putting in of Miller. Certainly, I think it's a little weird. That's exact. That's a perfect spot. If I could be completely candid, where I would have rather had Kareth White taking that ball, but he's not on the team anymore. But anyways, uh, when it, either way, that not only means that we've we've got a decision to potentially talk about with Matt Nagy, but we've also got now Allen Robinson. Taylor Gabriel, who I, I don't know what you think. I think he's gone. Uh, we've got Anthony Miller coming off of another shoulder injury, Javon Wims and Riley Ridley of these receivers and the other receivers that are potentially coming open in the draft. What do you think? Is that a spot that the bears can afford to should afford or should take a look at upgrading? Or do you think that this is probably who we've got in 2020? For the most part, I do think that the bears receivers in 2020 who will be productive will be, consist of the guys who are currently on the roster because you know Allen Robinson's coming off of a fantastic season Anthony Miller <clears throat> had a very good second half of the year and I think that there's a lot to build off of with him I think there's a lot of potential heading into year three for him and Riley Ridley's a guy that I'm honestly kind of sad the Bears didn't utilize more this year I was pretty high on him I thought he was one of if not the best route runner in the 2019 class. So I think that he's in for a bigger role. And like you said, I think Taylor Gabriel's gone mostly because they have, you know, a lot of young talent at the position and just to save money, I think Gabriel's gone. So I could see the bears. If their board lines up with it, could maybe draft a guy on day three to potentially develop. If they don't see enough encouraging signs in Javon Wims. Uh, and they'll st still probably have Cordero Patterson on the roster, who isn't necessarily a true receiver, but technically he counts as a receiver. <laughs> I, I guess. I mean, he's pretty much a Swiss Army knife. On he's something. Yeah. But yeah, I could see the Bears maybe targeting a day three receiver because we've seen uh, Ryan Pay stick to the best player available approach. I mean, receiver wasn't a need for the Bears uh, this past draft, and they still selected Riley Ridley. So you never know, but I don't expect the Bears to use much in the way of, you know, important draft capital on a receiver, maybe like a sixth or seventh round guy, but who knows? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny when we talk about receivers, because to make sure that we straddle the line here between talking with a draft guy about this game, what's funny uh, now a cover a good almost 20 minutes into the podcast, I might as well just make it plain. I feel like the complicated part about talking about this game is that we could really try to dissect this 21 to 19 win. We could say things like, hey, it's neat that Pinero made a game winning kick. We could say things like, I can't believe that Matt Nagy's offensive game plan was as helter skelter as it was with uh, going back into a pass heavy approach after scoring a touchdown on a run heavy drive against a bunch of backups. But, and I kind of hinted at it there at the end, it kind of felt, I don't know what you thought, Jacob, and I want to hear what you think. Uh, 
it felt to me like this game didn't leave us with a ton of things to really take away, partially because of the situation, partially because of who we're playing against, and partially because it kind of felt like not a whole lot happened. I mean, we kind of got an almost a repeat game of plenty of other games outside of the fact that the Bears playing a bunch of backups were able to run the ball effectively, that the quarterback generally didn't get the ball downfield. The offensive line played a pretty poor game overall. Uh, the the defense gave up a surprising amount, actually, of uh, of ground uh, yardage, but they played pretty decently against Sean Mannion in pass coverage. I don't know. Uh, general, like, w- before we continue talking about drafts needs and how they related to this game, what did you think, I guess, about any takeaways that we can pull out of a Week 17 game against the Vikings second string? I mean, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It really was just a blah game against a bunch of backups. It was pretty much more of the same. I didn't really see too much that really changed my mind on anything and other than the run game which did well against you know a depleted minnesota defense but i think you know for the most part you come away from this game the way you did coming into this game you know the strengths on this team and you know the weaknesses on this team and they made themselves apparent and nobody i don't think really stood out enough to warrant you know being super high on them heading into the offseason or yeah Honestly, it's, <laughs> I'm struggling to come up with exactly more ways to put it. It just wasn't a very impressive game. It was a win, and I'll definitely take it. But I don't know if there's necessarily enough to be super excited heading into the offseason about a particular player or a particular unit on this roster. And I don't think, Jacob, that you could have segued me any better. I mean, that was almost script worthy for me to talk about because I make I make sure that we're clear on what we can and can't take away from this game because and, you know, we have to talk about it at some point coming out of wide receivers. One thing that has really stood out to me this season is that I don't feel like we've been able to be particularly impressed by all that many wide receivers. Uh, I know that we talked during the game. You were not very impressed this season, let alone this game by Javon Wims. Uh, and really the only receiver that I could say has truly stood out this year has been Allen Robinson on a consistent basis. Taylor Gabriel looked flat out bad. Anthony Miller didn't get thrown to for the whole first half of the year and then started to come alive in the late part of the season. Had plenty of his own mistakes and you know it's funny because wide receiver and you and i could talk about this at length is a very dependent position on the quarterback and quarterback has been a hot topic uh in chicago this entire season and here in a game that again we've both already agreed you got what you knew you would get the bears got in a game against backups where Trubisky generally thrives against quote-unquote bad defenses, uh, we got 37 pass attempts. That's not counting four sacks for 28 yards. He produced 207 yards. That's 5.6 yards per, I believe, attempt. And an 84, uh, 84 passer rating, which actually seems a little bit high considering no touchdowns and no interceptions. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I what did you, I'll I'll ask what did you think before I say anything? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. It was a very it, it wasn't a great game for Trubisky. He's definitely had worse games, but yeah, exactly. Like you were saying earlier, it it was a game against a bad defense, and Trubisky didn't do as well as you know he has historically against those bad defenses. Sure, he completed you know, just over 70% of his passes, and that's a good number in the box score. But he also took four sacks, and, you know, we're going to have to go back and look at the tape on that, and, you know, Lester's sack watch is going to go deeper into that too. But, you know, taking four sacks, Mitch uh, can take some of the blame for that, whether, whether it be, you know, a lack of pocket presence or taking too long to, you know, go through his progressions. It was, it was basically washed rinse repeat with Trubisky. I mean, he didn't make necessarily any truly big throws except for the one pass to Riley Ridley late in the game. That was, you know, admittedly a very good throw. Other than that, it was it was pretty average by Trubisky standards, which by regular NFL standards is pretty below average. So it, it's just tough because, you know, it, we've been talking – about Trubisky's, you know, lackluster performance the entire year. And 
at this, it, it can be kind of tough to think of more ways to say it because Trubisky doesn't play. He doesn't have that many very good games to kind of flip the narrative. It's just a very consistent, very dull narrative. Trubisky cannot be the long-term guy for the Bears going forward. And I think this game was another one of those games where it just basically solidified that. That's kind of what it looks like to me. I mean, what's complicated, in my opinion, most complicated more than anything, and I've got to make it absolutely plain and repeat myself one more time, the offensive line played real bad today. That fumble that he had, heck, I don't even know who to pin it on. And I know plenty of the fans may hear me say that and go, are you kidding me? You're not going to blame it on Leno? And I'll look back and say, honestly, Trubisky hung that ball out there. It's not like super egregious, but his delivery was not exactly fast on that ball and no Leno shouldn't have allowed pressure that quickly but he was also riding him outside he had a little bit of room in the pocket whatever we'll leave it to Lester well that's let's just yeah. put it that way but uh but what was surprising to me and this kind of seems like it's been Trubisky's theme all season is he tends to be somewhat I guess just gen- generally unproductive uh, there aren't all that many big plays that you get out of Trubisky. You get short throws, you get some dink and dunks, you get a, the occasional play action 15, 20 yarder. And then outside of that, it's kind of a lot of nothing. Sometimes it's missed chances downfield. Sometimes it's never ch- chances that just aren't taken downfield. And it's, it's intriguing because, and I, this is going to be the flip back to you at some point, Jacob, I don't know what people, what talent evaluators, what folks who, especially guys who watch the draft, because you have to train yourself to spot traits would be saying about Trubisky because if I had to evaluate the kid I'd look and I'd say this guy whenever you get any pressure on him seems to just get completely chaotic his mechanics go wherever they want to his eyes you can't guess where they will be if maybe they're very very, you could even sometimes say all his eyes are going to do is they're just going to look at the pressure and he'll miss people downfield he seems to botch uh the occasional pre-snap read more commonly post-snap reads he doesn't tend to understand how to throw for receiver leverage if it's not in the play Trubisky's probably not going to do it uh it's just there are so many problem areas with Trubisky right now and so few solid consistent positive areas that I don't know how to be positive so to you Jacob I'll ask is there a way to be positive about this quarterback, or do you think we might have just seen the end of the road? I mean, I don't know if the Bears necessarily feel the same way that I do, but I feel like it's the end of the road for Trubisky because you know everyone says that you have to have a three-year evaluating window for talent, and now Trubisky's had two years as the full-time starter, and he started in all but four games in 2017. So at this point, I have to believe that Trubisky is what he is at this point mm-hmm. and granted the offensive line didn't help him out too much this year they had a very bad game uh today against the Vikings and you know the coaching at times hasn't been great but you know Nagy has also made a handful of good calls in the passing attack it hasn't been consistent but I mean it's you know not bad to the point where Trubisky should be playing like he's playing and not you know blame that on him at least a little bit. So I think, you know, we've seen enough of this style of play from Trubisky for most of this season, even more so than the last year and the rookie year before that, that I don't know necessarily if he can be fixed into becoming the quarterback that the Bears thought he was going to be. Sure, he can improve, and I necessarily, I don't think that he's going to you know, stay this bad forever. I could see him getting a little bit better in the future, but I don't think he's ever going to be that franchise quarterback for the Bears, especially let alone for any other team that picks him up down the line. I think that Trubisky is what he is at this point. And as much as it hates, you know, it pains me to say it, I think, you know, the Bears have to start considering life without him. I think that's more than fair. Uh, I think Lester put it perfectly last week when he said uh, and made absolutely plain, there is no better scenario for the Bears quarterbacking situation than Mitch Trubisky figuring it out and being good. 
I mean, that's without a doubt the path of least resistance. But, Jacob, we can't talk about the quarterback situation without me asking you the million-dollar question. And so before I ask it, let's step away for a moment and uh, take a break to listen to a couple of words from our sponsors. And we're back here, and I can't wait to ask you, Jacob, because you're the draft guy. You know you know way more <laughs> about what's going on in college than I do. Uh, and when you know that kind of college action, I feel like you're better able to even talk about trades, free agency, so on and so forth. We don't have an entire segment's worth of time to talk about this. For crying out loud, I am sure across Bears, like Bears media, there's going to be segment after segment after segment after segment on exactly what I'm going to ask you. But the season just ended. If it is the end of the road for Trubisky, what do you do to fix it? You see, it's a very difficult situation that the Bears are in right now because obviously this entire title window is designed around Trubisky getting better and they've given up draft capital for it. They've, you know, signed big name free agents. They've extended their own guys all in the sake of making, you know, expecting Trubisky to make that leap and it didn't happen. So that gives the Bears, you know, their backs are against the wall a little bit in terms of how they're going to fix this quarterback position. They don't have a first round pick. So the odds that they find, you know, a day one starter to instantly take over Trubisky are very slim. They don't have a ton of money. So if someone like Teddy Bridgewater hits the open market, the, you know, I don't think the Bears are going to be able to afford him. Ultimately, what I think they will do is they'll wait on drafting a quarterback this year. Because at least in my evaluation so far, I feel that there's a very big drop-off between the top three guys, that being Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and Tua Tonga-Valoa, and the rest of the class. Because, you know, everyone from that four to seven range on my board has, you know, pretty glaring errors. And I don't know necessarily if I'd feel comfortable drafting them in the second round to compete with Trubisky. I feel that They'll go after a veteran. I don't know exactly who that might be. Maybe Marcus Mariota, Andy Dalton, you know, not necessarily impressive names, but at least someone they can sign on like a one-year deal to compete with Trubisky. And if they, you know, catch a diamond in the rough like the Titans did with Ryan Tannehill, you know, this past year, then I think that it's definitely, you know, in the cards the Bears will consider going that veteran option and having him compete with Trubisky. And if, you know, Trubisky doesn't improve, then that veteran takes over for the rest of the year. 2021, when they have that first round draft pick, then they can, you know, look at finding a new franchise quarterback and trying to, you know, reopen that title window. It's going to be very tough and, you know, tough decisions will have to be made. Guys will have to be, you know, let go in free agency and you know not resign them or anything but i think ultimately a veteran quarterback is the move for this offseason maybe a late round quarterback to try and develop as a long-term backup but i don't think that the bears will draft a quarterback in the second round this year i hear that i mean for crying out loud i'm already preparing myself for the volley of artillery that's going to be bears fans frustrations if and when ryan pace doesn't draft another quarterback uh, like at all, because I know there are plenty that are getting very, very, very upset with him for not taking a sixth round flyer on Gardner Minshew and others <laughs> like him. Um, but I know what comes to mind for me, because there's there's the realistic option and then there's the option I'm hoping for. And I'll make it absolutely plain the difference between the two. There is a very realistic chance that the Bears cut base with Chase, or cut base with Chase Daniel and they bring in somebody like Case Keenum. Marcus Mariota feels a little unrealistic. Those concerns about the fact that he and Trubisky share the same agent actually seem realistic to me. If it's money at play, and that age, or I tend to doubt that that agent is going to encourage Marcus to go fight for his life against this agent's other client. That's uh, true. That's true, yeah. But, but either way, like you're talking about, I don't think that 2020 is the year that the Bears try to find their new franchise guy. If they do, I frankly don't think that'll work out. I believe uh, Jay, you and I have kind of talked about this guy before. Jalen Hurts is a very popular name for quarterbacks uh, or as for around Bears Nation as far as quarterbacks go. I think he it couldn't be a better representation of the drop-off between fabulous quarterbacks like Joe Burrow. I mean, for crying out loud, did you see that guy last night? Yeah. Uh, like... Him versus Jalen Hurts is just hilarious. 
same with Justin Herbert. I mean, that guy can play, and Tua speaks for himself. The only problem, the only problem with Tua's game is that your left tackle is now your right tackle, and your right tackle is now your left tackle, uh, yeah. which is the joke that I always say. Um, but I'm sure there's, I know there's plenty more with him, but this is not that podcast. The point is, is that there, uh, I think that it wouldn't be surprising for the Bears to potentially try to trade for somebody, given how stuck they are, because like we've talked or like you've mentioned. This window wasn't designed with a secondary fail-safe solution in mind, so the Bears are going to have to get creative. The bright side for them is that, and I have—I don't think I've ever seen this before, Jacob. There are a bunch of realistically decent to good quarterbacks that actually may be available. They just all have a bunch of different concerns. Uh, for instance, we have Alex Smith who's coming off of 17 surgeries in his leg. But he seems to think he's ready to try again. So if you're ready or if you're willing to do that, you could probably acquire him for cheap. His contract is not kind because I believe it's got two more years of dead cap on it. But hey, um, he has been a guy before, twice before, that has drafted and developed or that has developed a drafted prospect under him. So maybe that's an option. Cam Newton, another popular name. Uh, Nick Foles, I'll just rip through a couple of the options we've got here. Nick Foles is another one. And the one that I guess I keep coming back to, if I was going to have a fantasy dream move, it would be that the Oakland Raiders would let Derek Carr go for relatively cheap. I'm talking a second-round pick, not playing games. We're not getting Carr for a fourth-rounder or something like that. But that's the only way that I see the Bears, because like you, I don't see Teddy Bridgewater realistically getting away from New Orleans, no matter how much I'd like to pretend that uh, either Bridgewater or Drew Brees would shake free <laughs> of, uh, of the New Orleans Saints. Carr seems to me, in the, in the intersection of realistic, and, uh, and I'm excited about it, as far as John Gruden, the uh, loose cannon maverick that he is, deciding that he, enough is enough, he's going to go get one of his guys. And he takes a relatively cheap price with the trading partner he already uh, has established with in the Khalil Mack trade, gives Derek Carr over to the Bears, who are able to soak his contract, which Bears fans, if you haven't looked at it, pretty kind. It's about $20 million, uh, one more year guaranteed. So if Carr sucks, great. He's a bridge quarterback. You tried. Uh, if he's decent, you could hang on to him for another year and develop that 2021 prospect that the Bears are likely to draft. And I know, come 2021, the Bears will want another, or Bears fans will want another ready-made quarterback, but this is Ryan Pace. He loves his projects. I don't know. Quarterback doesn't have an easy, amazing solution, but I do. it does seem like this year, more than certainly uh, the year Mike Glennon was brought in, there are options, and not all of them are great, <laughs> For instance, the yeah. Bears could the Bears could decide that Jameis Winston is going to be their uh, no. their fix, um, but no. but exactly exactly that that were or the way that you just reacted is perfect. I mean that's how Bears fans felt with Glennon. My point is is that there are realistic options like eight of them that could potentially start for the Bears next year if the Bears wanted to try to find their Tannehill. I think they could find one. They just it just I don't know who he is yet. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. There are a lot of guys who could potentially be available this offseason that have starting experience. And I think that they have a lot of different options they can go for. A lot of them have, you know, baggage. A lot of them have, you know, you know, weaknesses in their game. But I think there are a lot of guys who could potentially be that Tannehill, be that guy who can take over for a disappointing young quarterback. And, you know, with their experience or their fit in the offense or whatnot, you know, they can lead the Bears into potentially a playoff situation because look at the Titans right now, you know, with Ryan, ever since Ryan Tannehill has been under center for them. I mean, they're looking at a potential playoff spot and they're winning, I believe, right now against the Houston Texans. So you can definitely make the playoffs with a bridge quarterback. Maybe you don't have necessarily long-term success with a bridge quarterback, but with the talent that the Bears have on the roster, I think it's definitely a possibility if they find a guy who can, you know, take over that starting quarterback position in 2020 and maybe be that bridge quarterback for whoever they draft in 2021. I think it's possible that that helps, you know, long-term plans a little bit more. And like you said, I really like Derek Carr as a fit in that Bears offense. I don't know necessarily if he'll be available 
I don't know what the Raiders are planning on doing this offseason, but if he does, I think that would be the top, you know, realistic choice for the Bears. They could give the Raiders back their second round pick that they, you know, got from the Khalil Mack trade. And that would work out well for both sides because, like you said, Carr has a pretty, you know, solid contract for a player of his caliber. If that were to happen, I would be okay, definitely okay with that. But like you said, it's there are a lot of different options the Bears could go and consider this offseason. It's just a matter of who they want to be that guy to, you know, try and light a fire under Trubisky and potentially take over that starting spot for a bit. Absolutely. And if Bears fans are wondering why I'm spending as much time as I am on the quarterback, it's because I need to make this absolutely clear. There is a world where Trubisky could win a Super Bowl, maybe. Uh, but to be pl- to be big, just completely plain about what that would take, that would mean that the Bears probably need to add another top end receiver. They need to add, not only add a right guard, but pretty much the entire offensive line needs to have the, one of the best seasons of their life because Trubisky really struggles in pressure situations. The Bears would have to add, and I'm not kidding here, a top three receiving tight end. Like they'd have to be that good. And at that point, with truly all the pieces around him. I think Trubisky could be legitimately successful. Uh, the trouble is, is that in the NFL, not only or as well as just general team building, that is way more difficult to get all that around him than just getting a better quarterback. And yeah, I'm not suggesting that getting a quarter or a better quarterback is somehow easy. I'm saying that it's probably easier than hitting on all of the other moves surrounding him. Trubisky has been unproductive. We know that. We could go through the advanced stats. We could go through the expected completion percentage difference. We could go through the eye test. I mean, we, Jacob, I feel like you and I could go through all this. The, tr- the trouble and the hard truth to understand or to swallow is that Mitchell Trubisky just wasn't good. And he didn't have a good supporting cast around him. But even in the, the situations that he could control or had going for him, he made too many mistakes. And some could call it small sample size, but it's been three years. And we've seen him go from a quarterback that struggled in some situations but was good in the clutch to a quarterback that has struggled in some situations but is good in the clutch. I mean, I don't feel like there's been a ton of movement, which is not good for a developmental prospect. And I don't want to hammer the nail too hard. But anyways, we'll have to save tight ends for another moment. What did you think of today's defense? Certainly it's a bit precarious given the inside linebacking situation as well as defensive line, but the Bears were missing Two bona fide starters, pretty much their cheat code starters in Eddie Goldman and uh, Akeem Hicks. Were you or what did you think about this running back uh, whose name completely slips my mind, making as much headway as he did? Is it something to worry about or is it the sort of thing that you shrug your shoulders and you say defense is rife with business decisions in meaningless games in week 17? And maybe we should just let this one go, burn the tape and come back to it in 2020. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, I don't necessarily find a lot to truly panic about in this game. I mean, Mike Boone is the guy who torched us this week, and I, he had a very good game. He had his fair share of holes, but granted, the Bears didn't have their two starting linebackers. They didn't have two of their starting defensive linemen, and I think that that you know depleted front seven, even against a Minnesota backup offensive line, you know, Gary Kubiak's played a big role in designing the run game for the Vikings this year, and he's done a very good job and I think is a really underrated reason why Dalvin Cook has had such a good year. I think the Vikings are just a well-coached run team. You know, Cook's been great. Boone had a very good game today, and Alexander Madison, their uh, third-round rookie, also has been good. So I don't think this is necessarily something for the Bears to be super worried about. It wasn't a very good game for a lot of their, you know, defenders in the front seven. I think Kwiatkowski had a good game, but realistically that's about it as far as, like, first impressions go. Pass defense, I think, was pretty good. I think Mm -hmm. they, you know, they shut Sean Mannion down and the Vikings didn't necessarily rely on him too much. But I think that, you know, the defensive backs did their job. Uh, Chuck Pagano had, you know, a pretty good job coaching up, you know, coverage schemes and trying to, you know, confuse Manny in because, you know, he clearly he's not a starting caliber quarterback, although, you know, you wouldn't expect him to be necessarily. I'd say pass defense was good. Run defense was bad, but it wasn't the end of the world. It's nothing to necessarily panic about given the situation. Pretty much the only defender, because I think you nailed a lot of that. I really do. 
Uh, I think that the pass defense continues to show up in all the invisible ways. It's funny when a defense isn't getting interceptions, but it's getting a couple of pass deflections here and there, shutting people down and making the or putting the quarterback in situations where they, quote unquote, keep just making bad throws. A lot of people shrug their shoulders and they say, well, that's not good pass defense. It's just working out. But, you know, they've done that all year. So at some point you tip your hat, you say, I think the pass defense is playing pretty good football. Um, The only player that really comes to mind, if I could be completely honest, that I'm a little disappointed in, uh, the only one, especially given that I know I did a real big focus feature on him uh, in the offseason, is Blal Nichols. And it's funny because I'm not disappointed like I want to kill this or I want to rake this guy over the coals um, as far as his play. It's more to say that he seems to me like I look, I can't tell whether he's being poorly used or whatever. But the point is, they keep putting him in the middle of the defense, and I feel like he works undoubtedly better as an edge defender, where he doesn't have to take double teams because he's not very good at it. And it's funny because I don't know if you made it out to camp much, Jacob, uh, but Bilal Nichols looked like an animal in training camp. Classic example of how training camp can lie to you. Or you could also postulate that his arm injury really, really, really held him back a lot this year and stunted his development. But either way, I think I was expecting a little bit more from Bilal Nichols in terms of his abilities against the pass, which didn't really develop. His hands didn't seem like they've been a lot better, but let's be let's be really basic on a postgame podcast. He just wasn't all that productive against the pass this year, and he still got run on. He's somebody that, look, he's a fifth-round pick. If he, doesn't, if he doesn't get any better, we shrug our shoulders and say, okay, pretty standard fifth-round pick. But it would be pretty nice if the Bears could get some quality defensive line play out of guys like him. I don't know. Anybody stick out to you in terms of you'd like to see better from them next year? I think Bilal Nichols is definitely a guy who I thought was going to have a better year than he ended up having. And I agree with you know a lot of what you said there. I think Nichols is a very good athlete for his size, but in you know, because of that alone, you'd expect more value in the, you know, against the past. And he just didn't bring it this year. I mean, injuries, you know, prevented him from being healthy all the time, but even when he was healthy and even when he was out there, he wasn't necessarily lighting the world on fire. Uh, another guy who I'd like to, you know, dub as one of my disappointments is Leonard Floyd. I personally didn't see the whole double-digit breakout year that you know <laughs> seemingly everyone seems to go through every single year. Washer and repeat doesn't happen. Next year it happens. Uh, so I was very impressed with Leonard Floyd's Week One game. I wrote you know a whole article about it, and I was very impressed. And I thought maybe this actually is the year that he's going to make this step. Maybe this actually is going to be the year that he's going to turn into that you know, reliable edge rusher that the Bears always wanted him to be when they picked him ninth overall. But, I mean, truth be told, he just didn't produce this year. He had three sacks, and two of them were in week one against the Packers. Like, that's not the type of production you want off the edge as a starter. I mean, especially when you've got a guy like Khalil Mack on the edge, you should be able to take advantage of those more one-on-one situations. Floyd couldn't do that. I think you're, if you're the Bears, you're going to have to start looking for an eventual replacement for him because his contract's coming up. Uh, as of now, they are they do have the fifth year option on him. You know, whether they rescind that, I don't know. But I think ultimately Leonard Floyd has proven to me that he can't be a long term edge rusher. And in the cap situation that the Bears have right now, they have to be very picky about who they keep and who they spend a lot of money on. I don't th- I don't think Floyd's going to be one of those guys. I mean, for crying out loud, Jacob, just to just dive in and echo what you're saying. F- Leonard Floyd is a guy that and I like to think that given that we talk about the Bears on a week to week basis, I know who's on their roster. When I go through it mentally and I say, OK, why are not we getting pass rush? Who am I? I'll forget that Leonard Floyd's on the team because he just was so ineffective for the large majority of this year in terms of generating pressure. It's, I mean, that's not somebody that you want to pay $15 million for. And look, I 
I'll tell anybody that asks me. I think Leonard Floyd's a good football player. I think he's a really solid, like, versatile Swiss Army Knife linebacker. The problem is, is that when you're playing outside linebacker in today's NFL, that's not really what you want to pay $15 million for. Like, decent coverage for a guy his size, ability to set the edge against the run more often than not, and three sacks. That's that's not the big money guy. I, I feel like the problem with Floyd right now is... Uh, and you and I talked about this, heck, before the season even started, is that uh, yeah. his his value kind of feels like it's closer to seven and a half, maybe six million dollars uh, on a year to year basis. And I just don't think that's what the market will pay him. I wouldn't be yeah. would, wouldn't be surprised if for some reason the market would inflate him to a twelve, fifteen million dollar guy. And for a team like the Bears that needs draft picks like it does, he seems to me to be a much more available compensatory pick that's walking around in a Bears uniform right now than he does future linebacker. Of course, the problem with that is that if you cut Floyd and we're definitely not bringing back Aaron Lynch, who else do you get? And that, uh, I guess I'll flip that back at you. Are there any free agents or draft guys that you have your eyes on? Uh, Do you think that that's realistic? Or do you think that the Bears may need to just uh, take the fifth-year option and hope he improves enough in a year to cover for you getting to 2021? I'll be real. I haven't looked necessarily too deep into the free agent edge class for this year. I think that the draft class definitely has a lot of guys you can look at. If they want to pick a second round uh, edge rusher, there's a lot, certainly a lot of talent there. You know, guys like Caleb on chase on from LSU, Daryl Taylor from Tennessee, guys like that who, you know, I'll go deeper in depth on, you know, as the off season goes on and other guys on our staff will as well. But I think it's definitely it's a good edge class this year. I think there's a lot of, you know, quality day two talent. If the Bears want to use one of their second round picks on an edge rusher, I wouldn't blame them. I don't know necessarily if they'll do that, given the other needs that they're going to have on their roster this year. I think what they'll end up doing, which, you know, you mentioned earlier, they might end up keeping that fifth year option on him and then stick him around for another year and then eventually let him walk for a team who sees that length and the athleticism and the youth and says, hey, we can make something out of this and, you know, use that versatility and hope that they can, you know, turn him into something that the Bears haven't seen out of him. So I think Floyd will get paid a lot of money. I think the Bears will keep him around for another year unless, you know, someone offers a trade to blow him away. And then eventually Floyd, you know, nets the Bears like a fourth round comp pick or something, which I would be, you know, I'd be more than happy with. That would be a very good return for a guy like him. Absolutely. And we, look, we could talk about how the fact that Floyd, even as he leaves the Bears, may not even qualify as a bust. Like we could talk about the pick, uh, especially when you take a look at the guys who were picked around Floyd. Uh, Vic Beasley, for instance, not been uh, ex- near the player that people thought that he was. But it is just really interesting when you take a look at this Bears offseason. Uh, when you look at the fact that the Bears can hope for, if the cap expands like we would expect it to, they could push their available money up to $40, $45, 50000000 million, roughly. And then they've got a somewhat depleted uh, draft pick set. So that's not exactly great either. Um, but when you look at all that, Trying to add an edge rusher, a quarterback, a lineman, a tight end, it's doable, but it's sticky. And that's that's one of those decisions with Floyd that I think is going to be really intriguing. Do they keep the option, roll with the devil they know, or do they risk the devil they don't? Uh, there's one more position that I think I absolutely have to ask you about, Jacob, because there has been tons of discussion on Windy City Gridiron over the years, uh, and there will, I'm sure, be discussion going forward on the value of inside linebackers in a 3-4. The Bears now have three linebackers that, honestly, they've impressed pretty much everybody in Danny Trevathan, Nick Kwiatkowski, and Kevin Pierre-Lewis that are all up for a new contract or they're not on the team. When if it's you making the decision, who do you stick with? Who do you let go? And feel free even to potentially surprise us. I don't know if you will. Uh, I'm just saying this as a guess. But if you were to say something crazy like what I've seen on Windy City Gridiron, like let's just roll with the UDFA and see how it goes. (laughs) Save the money. (laughs) Hey, look, floor's open to you. If it were up to me, I would honestly I'd bring back Kwiatkowski. 
because I think Kevin Pierre-Lewis, I really like him. I like the skill set that he brings, the athleticism, the versatility, the special teams value. I think he's going to be too expensive for the Bears to sign as a backup linebacker, as a third linebacker on their team at best. So I think he's gone. I think Kwiatkowski is going to be the most expensive of the three. He's definitely impressed me this year. He's gotten, you know, he's gotten better in coverage. He's still showing that hard-hitting physical nature, you know, against the run. He's a valuable blitzer. I really like the skill set that he's displayed this year, and I think that that's going to get him a decent contract. Ultimately, what I think the Bears will do, though, is they'll try and extend Trevathan for another year or two. And if Kwiatkowski gets too expensive, then they might have to let him walk and get a comp pick for that. You know, Danny Trevathan's played a very big role in the Bears turning around their defense when they signed him in 2016. Uh, you know, he's a good you know locker room guy, and he had a you know pretty good year before he got hurt. I don't know necessarily if that's what I do, but I think that they'll try. That they'll you know, bring back Trevathan on a little bit of a cheaper deal. Kwiatkowski might, you know, probably going to be a little more expensive, might get more of a long-term contract than Trevathan would. But sign one of Trevathan or Kwiatkowski, I think Pierre Lewis is as good as gone, unfortunately. And then maybe sign a journeyman linebacker in free agency or draft a guy late on day three, because realistically they're not going to draft one in the second round and they don't have any other picks you know, on day two after that. So, <clears throat> yeah, I think that that's, you know, going to be the way that the Bears are going to attack it. I think Kwiatkowski is going to get a pretty sizable contract. It's just a matter of who's going to give it to him. If I were the Bears, I'd look into it, but I don't necessarily know if they're going to. Hey, it makes sense to me. I think it's funny because uh, you mentioned Kwiatkowski, who is well worth talking about. Uh, he is a player that not only has he impressed, but I'm just going to put this on the podcast because I think it's worth saying Kwiatkowski is the player that I wish Mitchell Trubisky would have been. Uh, Mitch, Based on the way that he's played, Mitch looks like he was going to have weaknesses, but Kwiatkowski balances those weaknesses in coverage with clear strengths. And this year, the whole reason he's been starting caliber and people like you, smart people, Jacob, are saying let's bring him back is because he has mitigated those weaknesses to where they aren't as painful as they were while expounding on his strengths. He's a hard hammer against the run. He he blitzes really, really well. Uh, and as long as he can become more than just a total liability in coverage, in fact, this year he had an interception and a shot at a second one, you're looking at a pretty good linebacker. Trubisky, I wish, not to bring it all back to the quarterback, I wish that we could look back and say, you know, when he is a clean pocket quarterback, he's really accurate. Or, you know, when the play does break down, he's really dangerous. There's tons of things that we could have been able to look back at Trubisky and say, if that was going well for him, maybe we keep him around. It's the fact that he's he seems like he's a ball of a lot of weaknesses, unknowns, and no real known positives that keeps us off of him. And that's how we felt about Kwiatkowski for years. Uh, and he was able to prove over extended action. That's not who he is. And hey, maybe we bring him back. That'd be rad. Yeah, I'm definitely impressed with Kwiatkowski's development, especially in coverage, because let's face it, he's got some athletic limitations. He's not going to be a Roquan Smith type of linebacker where he goes you know, sideline to sideline and he's got you know, four or five speed. But he admittedly has gotten better in coverage in terms of, you know, his instincts. He looks a little bit quicker out there in the open field. And then obviously his hard-hitting style of nature, his, you know, reliable tackling ability, his ability to take on blocks, stuff, uh, and plug up holes in the run game and blitz. I think that he's definitely come a long way since his rookie year in 2016. And I'm really impressed with the player he's become because like you said I was personally on the bandwagon that he was what he was at that point and you know like I am with Trubisky right now and I think you know Kwiatkowski's definitely come a long way with Trubisky I have to agree with you he's a lot of you know weaknesses and with not many true strengths that are apparent in his game right now and you know one can only hope that he makes a quick Kowski like, you know, kind of recovery where he mitigates those weaknesses and makes his strengths more apparent. 
But you never know. Either way, I'm really impressed with how quick Kowski's been this year. Absolutely. You never know. But I'll tell you what, Jacob, we have gone for quite a while, which I think is only fair of a uh, podcast covering the effective end of the season. Uh, Like we said, happy the Bears won. Not a ton to take away from this game, but we've talked a lot about the future. And the only position we missed is tight end. But hey, that's like almost a whole podcast. Uh, I know you and I will be doing plenty of work. We've got some cool surprises cooked up that especially as we get into more like March, uh, March, April, we will start to unveil the all. But Jacob, until then, thank you so much for coming on. Where can the listeners of this wonderful show find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at Jacob Infante 24. Uh, like Rob mentioned on the top of the show, I do, you know, work at Windy City Gridiron where I cover the Chicago Bears in, you know, multiple different, you know, facets. And I also do NFL draft work at USA Today's Draft Wire. And yeah, those are the places you can find me. I'm really happy that I got to hop on the show. Thanks for having me on. Of course, Jacob. Thanks so much for coming on. Anytime, man. That's all I got for you today, Bears fans. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Bear With Me. And if you liked the show, please head over to iTunes or wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast and make sure to leave us a five-star rating. That helps us both grow the podcast and lets us know that you like what we're doing. And if you don't, please leave a comment displaying how you'd like to see the show improve and different ways that we can get better. Always appreciate those. If you like what I have to say, feel free to follow me over on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z. Or continue to check around Winnie City Gridiron or YouTube to find more of my analytical work. I can't lie to you, this was a weird season. Certainly much more disappointing than we anticipated, but hopefully with some crafty offseason moves, Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, and the rest of the Bears front office will be able to put together a competitive team that could even potentially challenge for a championship in 2020. We'll just have to wait and see. Until then, hopefully we get some really exciting NFL playoff football. And until next time, Bears fans, bear down. And thanks so much for bearing with me.